0: Hey, this is Rob Pennington from By the Grace of God, Jupiter Hearts Endpoint, and you are listening to the new scene.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And in the guest host chair today, I've got Matt Riley of King Slender. Matt, welcome to the show.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Keith. Hello, everyone.
1: It's great to have you here, Matt. So, what the hell have you been up to for the last mm, 20 years?
2: <laughs> Just having adventures, really. Um, I've been playing, I've uh, been playing in several bands, uh, basically my whole adult life, you know, yeah, uh, I spent, a uh, spent about six years living in Athens, Georgia. Uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. Spent about two years living in the Sydney, Australia area, which was also a lot of fun. And, uh, I've been back, been back in the, the Philly area for six, seven years, something like that. So living life, man, I, uh, I like to go, I like to go hang out in the woods and go camping. So I spend a lot of my time outdoors.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: unless it's wintertime, then I'm just miserable for, you know, three or four months. But yeah, uh, business as usual.
1: Yeah, I, I've seen you on Instagram. A lot of outdoor stuff, a lot of hiking, a lot of things that I don't typically do, but probably should.
2: Fair enough. At least you know it, right? <laughs> uh,
1: well, it's great to have you here, Matt. You know, uh, we haven't spoken, our, I don't even think have seen each other in a long time, but I'm familiar with your excellent current band, King Slender. And you have an excellent new record out called Gold Days. And we're going to get to that, everybody. But we've got a very big interview for you on this episode. The one, the only, Sergio Vega of Quicksand. And this is a fantastic conversation. And we cover it all. The legendary album Slip, recording that, its current reissue on Iodine Recordings, Manic Compression the breakups, the reunion, the new albums. We talk about Sergio joining the Deftones and recording Diamond Eyes, which is one of my favorite records by them. We cover it all, and that conversation is coming up shortly. You've heard it, Matt. Tell them. Tell them what to expect.
2: Listen, it's going to be a good time. I know that you're not going to want to leave, so you know what to do. You know
1: what to do. There you go. So that's coming up shortly, but before we get to that, Here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at new scene pod. Give us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Open up your Apple Podcast application and give us five stars. And on that note, I've got a new review to read to all of you. And it's from Elia 420. Five stars. Favorite music podcast. I love hardcore music and Keith delivers great interviews. I recommend it to all my friends. There you go. Elia, I know you can't see it, but I want you to know that I'm holding up four fingers and he knows why. Thank you, Elia. Okay, and remember, we have shirts for sale at Deathwish Inc. And don't forget to support iodine recordings. Now, we have a giveaway this week and this is gonna be one you're very interested in. You could win a copy of the 30th Anniversary Vinyl Repress Of Slip. We have copies of Quicksand Slip, the 30th anniversary deluxe Gatefold LP with Slipcase. We've got one on gold and one on green splatter to give away. The green splatter edition is reserved for friends and family only. So this one is pretty much impossible to find anywhere unless you win it from us. And the deluxe Gatefold edition sold out in a matter of minutes when the pre order went live. So this is in very high demand. So listen, you want to win this vinyl. I mean, it's slip for God's sake. So here's what you do. Follow the new scene on Instagram at new scene pod. Follow iodine recordings at iodine recordings and follow quicksand at QSNYC. That's all on Instagram and tag a friend in one of my posts. It could be the Sergio post. It could be any post one of your friends is interested in, just add them in the comments. You could post a story, you know, just get my attention by tagging somebody and you will automatically be entered to win one of these quicksand records. I'll pick the winners next week. For more iodine updates, follow iodine on Instagram at Recordings or visit their website at iodinerecordings.com. And last but not least, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Bridge 9 Records. Check out their new record store at 282 Rantoul Street in Beverly, Massachusetts. It's open every Wednesday through Sunday starting at 11 a.m. Drop in there. They've got a fine selection of punk releases. They've got a fine selection of Bridge 9 releases. They've got the silver series pressings of some of their most classic Bridge 9 releases. And you can only get those in the store. Drop in. You may even see Chris Wren himself. And when you see him, you can ask him, Chris, how do I start one of the leading labels in hardcore? And he will tell you, follow me. I will show you the way. For more information, head to bridge9.com. That's bridgethenumber9.com. Or check out their Instagram at bridge9. That's bridge. N-I-N-E. Okay. So, Matt, we need to give some musical recommendations to the people. What are you listening to? Lay it on us.
2: Oh, man. Um, I've been revisiting a lot of things uh, from the past. So, there's a, uh, there a pretty, pretty good split, split LP that came out um, a long time ago. It's uh, I Am the Resurrection and Off Minor, uh, Split 12-inch. I think Level Plane did that. Uh, I know off miner's been around for for a long time. They recently did like a, a reunion, bunch of reunion shows. I am the Resurrection is a, is a an overlooked band from New York. Um, I believe their previous band was called Knives and Greenwater, and they are very, very good as well. Uh, again, like over overlooked, heavy, screamy hardcore from from New York City. Um, I like Offminer a lot, but the I am the resurrection side blew me away when i when I first heard this record in like ninety nine or two thousand or whatever it was two thousand one maybe um i don't I don't listen to a whole lot of modern stuff at all keith uh and i'm uh like that that's i'm ashamed to say that, but I also know it, and that's just kind of how I am you know um especially when it comes to hardcore punk like i I've been listening to the same bands for the last like twenty five years and uh i'm I'm good with that you know <laughs> I listened to a lot of old school, old school death metal. Was actually checking out, uh, revisiting Cinderella. So Cinderella is a uh, Philadelphia area, I guess, I guess legendary, you know, hair metal band, when rock band. But uh, their first album, Night Songs, is is a is a total banger. And uh, I put that on for the first time in probably five to ten years, and I forgot forgot how good it was. And uh, that was one of the the first bands that I got into. So I'm happy to revisit that
1: i didn't know the uh glam metal cinderella was from philadelphia
2: oh yeah they're from uh they're from i think they're actually from delaware county so they they developed their friendship with bon jovi because bon Jovi's from you know new jersey right uh but that's how they met i believe that bon jovi came across them from the local music scene and uh the rest is history awesome
1: well, I have been listening to a lot more Soul Blind. I recently had Sen from Soul Blind on the show. That was last week's episode. And now I'm sucked back into their latest LP, Feel It All Around. It's so good. Awesome 90s vibes. It it really has heavy quicksand vibes, too, for all you quicksand fans out there. Imagine like Soundgarden meets quicksand meets Hum meets, I don't know, other 90s bands. It's really good. If that's your thing, check it out. It's all I've been listening to all week. And uh, Matt, for you and anyone else out there looking to dip their toe back into some new stuff, I highly recommend the New Scene 2023 Spotify playlist. I'm going to be putting all of this year's guests on it, as well as my personal musical recommendations. And we have playlists dating all the way back to 2020. So if you're ever in the mood to check out something new, those playlists are a good place to start.
2: Excellent.
1: All right. So make sure you check back in with me and Matt in segment three. We're going to talk about his band, King Slender. We're going to talk about their new album, Gold Days. We're going to catch up a little more. But right now, we are going to speak to Sergio Vega of Quicksand. Enjoy. Right, we are here now with Sergio Vega. Sergio, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Keith. I really appreciate it. Yes, Sergio, I'm very excited to have you here. You know, I've been listening to you in various bands for a very long time now. We're all very excited because one of my favorite records, Slip, there's a vinyl reissue coming out on Iodine, and and you know what? We're going to get to all of that. But Sergio, first, let let me. (laughs) I'm soaked. Let me first ask you a very simple question, or maybe not yes. simple, depending on what's going on. but Sergio, how are you doing today?
0: I am doing okay, you know like I think my uh first word that comes to mind is appreciative, you know like for for all the um the things that that are in my life.
1: I love that. What are some of those things, Sergio? What are you appreciative for today
0: um today for for the company that i've kept the people that i've gotten to see and the things that i've gotten to do you know i had a rehearsal today with quicksand i had you know brought home some ramen from uh, my favorite restaurant in the city and uh, my wife's as well so i brought her back some ramen she was she was working from home today and so like but you know like focusing on all the like the good stuff you know i got to play some music i got to bring home some good food and i got to be and see people that i love dearly
1: i love that you know i've really grown to appreciate the small things like that because my life used to be completely out of control for a long time so if it's like a week where i'm working from home and i just eat a good meal and i'm not too crazed with all the projects i'm doing i love that i really feel the warmth you know
0: yeah and and for me it's like you know, life is not without a lot of problems, but just to, to take a second to to like kind of, I don't, you know, to just take stock of what's good and what you can build on is always, is always positive or always helpful.
1: I'm curious, where does quicksand practice?
0: We, we have our own space. It's, um, it's out in Brooklyn and, um, we have a little room, a friend of Alan's, uh, has a couple of rehearsal spaces, and we get we were able to get like a a decent room that was like a really good deal you know it wasn't like it's not like it's super cheap, you know rehearsing in New york obviously is expensive, oh yeah, but it it's really worth it to have our gear set up uh full time it's worth it to be able to go in and and have you know like the flexibility to rehearse within our schedules like lining up the three of us isn't always easy. So to have a place that's there whenever we can all be there is great. And we needn't all be there either. You know, any any one of us can go in individually or in, in some pair and, and, you know, have a good time.
1: Do you ever do that? Go in individually to work on stuff or pair off? Alan, mostly. Yeah. Uh, myself, no,
0: for the simple fact that I have a home recording studio. So I can do a lot of that at home without having to, you know, coming from, uh, the Bronx, you don't have to deal with the, with the trek. So, but there are times, you know, that any, like, let's say if, uh, Walter can't make a rehearsal, you know, Alan and I can play or Alan and Walter can play. Um, usually I think if it's going to be Walter and myself, we he can just come to my house and we have, a, it's a little more convenient that's having so- a kitchen and food and stuff. So
1: that's really convenient because the practice spaces here are so cramped. Like you're saying you have everything set up, Ready to go, that's great. Every week I go to band practice and I have to strategically pull the boxes out like a game of Tetris yeah. and, and yeah, set totally. everything up and put it back and it's a real pain.
0: The uh I mean, who we have to thank for our setup is Alan, not only for connecting us. Yeah, I think I believe Walter's friends with the with the people who run the space as well, but um Alan actually took the time and the effort to organize it, build a little loft so we can have our, a lot of our debts, you know, up there or our cases and boxes and things are off the floor. And he, he put up guitar, uh, hangers on the wall so we can mount our, you know, he mounted, we were able to basically hang our guitars on the wall. We have all our boxes out of the way. He really, you know, kudos to Alan, I wish he was here right now.
1: That's awesome. Did you guys used to practice at a sweatshop? We, we put our time in at Sweatshop. Yes. Cause I, I used <laughs> yes. to, I used to practice there in an old band and I would hear like legends of quicksand practice thing there. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if they've been here recently.
0: No, we did because at, um, because of the way like we would kind of come together in blocks or then not. And then,
1: you know, with other things we
0: had going on, we didn't, we had periods where we didn't know if it was worth investing in a monthly
4: room. Yeah.
0: But at a certain point, we were kind of like, you know, you kind of got to do that and even if you even if it even if it's empty for a month but we've done sweatshop and we've written songs there and they've lived and we've rehearsed there it's it's a great place
1: room 1 at sweatshop was the shit it was so big you could stretch out yeah, it was nice exactly <laughs> so let's talk about the early days of Quicksand now leading up to this conversation i'm thinking about how much i've listened to the band over the years and i would show it to people who don't really know the scene or the band or anything and they'd be like oh is this tool or oh is this a perfect <laughs> is this a perfect circle and i'm like no get out of here with that no 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 you don't understand this is quicksand so like to me at least you really created a unique sound but what influenced you guys at that time? I mean like was tool around was that like a known sound? What were you experimenting with? And I know, I've heard you in interviews like you you guys said maybe you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do. You knew what you didn't want to sound like. So I'm there, was, there
0: was some of that. Yeah, we had a yeah. lot of negation, yeah. but actually actually in truth like thinking about it a lot and and um that is there was that. We had a lot of negation, but we did have some some uh pivotal things that we were experiencing that we were really really like loving at the time we had gotten into to bands like my bloody valentine around the uh isn't anything record and um really fell in love with with like that world with my bloody valentine ride lush pale saints uh curve um and then, like other bands that were adjacent but not like Daisy Chainsaw, we had our um, definitely a lot of of inspiration from it was like hip hop, living in New York and and just having that as part of our DNA. Yes, and there's also a little bit of Slayer, you know, a lot of metal, and not a lot of metal, but like Slayer and some things like that that kind of were just peppered into our experience. We all had individual things, and we had things that crossed over. I, I had a a real affinity for, uh, King's X and I was listening to like a lot of kind of like dance hall and reggae. Tom was listening to things like current 93 and Walter had, I think like Walter was Slayer and some other stuff as well, like a lot of pop sensibility and things that he was bringing in. And and basically all of the all of the information he was getting from all of the hardcore bands he had been in and and yeah. was working with at the time. So we had a lot of crossover and we had our own little individual kinds of uh, things that we were all bringing to the party.
1: It's interesting. It's a lot of different influences. And it's just it's I'm always fascinated, like how it comes together. You know, a different group of guys might have had that influence. And it sounded like something completely different, but you guys got yeah. together with everything you like, and we got quicksand.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like Fugazi, Dreams Addiction. I mean, there was a lot. You know, when I the more I think about it, you know, it was a really, it was a really great time for music. I mean, we were really fond of Swerve Driver. Um, I mean, there's just so much because i i I definitely, I definitely had a long period of thinking about. The things that we weren't trying to do, you know, were like afraid of being a little too funky or a little bit too this, or a little too that. But there was a lot that we were like not wanting to be like, but just loved. And, and I think that when you have that, but like you kind of are f- fortunate enough to have a voice of the way that you play, like Alan plays like Alan. When you hear Walter play and sing, you know, it's him. The same with Tom and, and it was something I was fortunate enough to be able to develop as well. Just like you know that that person's playing. Oh yeah. So when you're you're um, filtering through all of these influences, it doesn't really as much change your center as much as kind of like it it creates different nuances and different things. You know, like I I don't think I would have. I know I wouldn't have delved so deeply into effects if not for for the bands like My Bloody Valentine, you know, like MSU Gaze thing in general, like, that would have, that would have not, ha- that wouldn't have happened. I mean, even around that time, there's still like, James, uh, Manic Street Features, God, there's so many bands. You know, we went, when we went over to England, I saw some old picture of Walter that he posted recently, and I was thinking of, like, the whole Manchester scene, and you know, Stone Roses, and that, like, there's just, there was just so much going on, and but we're we're like coming from the hardcore scene. We have a certain edge and aggression that you, that's not going to disappear.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. I know Walter is really into the all the Britpop stuff, right? Like he's been on the show too. I remember him saying that.
0: Yeah, he was, and he was. Tom was. I was. You know, it was something that really super that we all really super got stoked on. Um, again, with certain bands that maybe like individually we gravitated towards, and then there was a plethora that we were all on board for.
1: I guess things happen pretty quickly, right? You do the first seven inch on Rev, correct? Yes. And then how long is it before you get the attention of Polydor?:
0: I don't know. It's funny because I when from my perspective now, everything seems like a, a blip, you know, like yeah. the band The van kind of had its first tenure within like, I think, a five year span or something like that. So it did happen rather quickly. At that time. it didn't feel super quick. But it felt natural, if that makes sense. Like it does. We in the sense that we we had momentum from the things that Walter, Tom, and Alan were doing. I brought uh, coming from the kind of punk end of things, it kind of brought in, you know, some interest from you know, it all had a little it all brought a little something, you know, and the timing was good and the band I think people were ready for just a new something different to hear in a sense without like really just not, you know, like abandoning hardcore. It wasn't about that as much as just adding some new wrinkles and experimenting and expanding. And and I think it was a nice sound at the right time. Definitely. And, definitely. You know, Alan was, um, Alan, I think, had the foresight to, not I think, Alan had the foresight to think that, hey, this is something that that might um you know get a little more interest if we if we put it out there in that way and alan actually connected us and got us into the idea of having a lawyer and so that kind of you know one thing kind of just led to another as we were playing and had an organic growth just because of the momentum of of our scene and the right place at the right time alan also was able to connect us in a way that that kind of caught a larger wave because things were happening and it was an interesting time for music and that things hadn't quite congealed yet. But we know that like a certain type of metal and a certain type of rock was kind of waning, but not, there wasn't that next thing yet. So strange bands were coming out and strange records were coming out. And it was, it was like a, a good time to, for, you know, it was a time where labels were, were taking chances.
1: Yeah, big time. Did the did the whole Nirvana thing break yet by the time you were recording slip? Like was that already out there in the the label feeding friends? Yeah, had I should begun? have looked
0: at it. There was a bit of that. Yeah. Like that kind of happened in the midst of it. So people were looking. So with Nirvana and Seattle, that had happened and people were looking for the next city or the next subgenre or the next scene or the next thing that could happen. So it was almost like the second go round for like for the hardcore scene in the sense they were a wave of bands that had gotten a certain level of deals that felt really big to us at the time. Yeah. And then, and then there was a, a, all of a sudden there was another, you know, kind of thing of like, Oh, there's let's check these guys out again. What's happening here. so we got caught up in that.
1: I'm curious. I just remembered this. I've always wanted to ask someone in quicksand this, there's this old video going around where Walter is, Singing for Quicksand, but doesn't have a guitar. He's just on vocals. Was there ever a point where he was just the vocalist?
0: Um, Never a point where he was just the vocalist, but there were times where live he wouldn't play a guitar. Like I was actually, I have um, kind of like a bit of an archivist by nature. I have like a lot of old Quicksand stuff. And the other day, my wife and I got everything we needed to digitize it. So I got to see some some footage for, of like us playing in the 90s before slip came out and you know walter had, didn't have a guitar at that time there were songs that were just kind of like in between our songs and we were just trying to find ourselves and there they weren't things that made the record there were things that were just kind of playing to fill out a set but we had maybe we had made the ep already and yeah so there were periods where where he he was like let me give this thing a go as like a, a a front man And we also attempted, we had a little stretch where uh, Charlie Garriga played guitar too. Mm -hmm. So we could have the best of both worlds. We could, we could do the two guitars, but also have Walter, um, you know, free. But ultimately what we settled in on his playing guitar, I think there's, um, this is me talking like there's more, there's, um, there's a thing. There's a lot of great guitar players. A lot of people can play things and a lot of, but everyone has their own touch And it's really, to my ear, there's no replacing him playing what he does. You know, it's the same for Alan. Like you can get someone who can play the stuff, but it's not going to, it's going to have a different thing. And I, I'm always stoked when I hear and jam with Walter because of the
4: way he plays guitar.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think that goes for everybody in Quicksand, including yourself, because it's one of the few bands where I know the first and last name of everyone in the band and I can picture them and I I like recognize your sound.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's yes. that that to me is um is the biggest goal in music for myself, more than like success in making a living, is just that you can develop your own voice and You know, add to a larger conversation of music and art. And, uh, you know, that may not be everyone's end game or goal, but that was a very important thing to me. And it was nice that, um, to be in a band and to be playing with people who have that. They each have developed that intentionally or subconsciously.
1: Mission accomplished.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a nice, it's a nice thing.
1: So uh, talk about recording. The legendary album Slip. Now, I've heard interviews where, which this surprised me. You didn't have all of it written. You were still working on a lot no. of it in the studio, right?
0: We were. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what really surprises me.
0: Uh,
1: I think. Well, I think one thing is is like I
0: feel like now um, the way that we write and the way that we think and 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 being informed by an extra couple of decades, you know, makes the writing process. Um, not easier, but uh, we're better at bringing things to the finish line.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that at that time, it was really difficult. So like any song that made it, we it had to go through a lot, you know, and it, it went through a lot of, of permutations. It went through a lot of doubt. It went through a lot of something. So it, it makes it to where like when I hear these records, you know, like, even though there's always something you feel like, oh, if I had, if I did this or if I did that, it would be better. It's like, I understand how much those songs had to go through just to live. And we, we didn't, you know, it took everything that we had to, to get the amount of material that we had at that time. <laughs> and it wasn't quite. Yeah. There were certain things that weren't done. There were certain things that were kind of there. And, you know, we had faith and with Stephen Hagler. You know, we were just kind of like, okay, we, we're going to bring this home. You know, it's a luxury. It was a luxury of the time.
1: Did you uh, yeah. did you have a producer who was helping you out and would say like, oh, try this or don't do that? Or what was the label and producer involvement, if any?
0: Very minimal in the sense that like, it kind of, well, when we did the record, we started and um, Ted Nicely, who had done Fugazi Records, was originally our producer and Stephen Hagler was the engineer and ultimately like it were, it didn't really, you know, it was a, it wasn't a good fit between us with, with Ted, because I think he was a little bit more trying to go that way and want to do that. And we really were, I think even though our vision, even though like it was hard to get things done, we still wanted it. We were not open to that. And we just really wanted to focus on each other and, you know, at a certain point, you know, like nothing on a personal level, more just on a like, okay, like a workflow and a, and how we want to go things. We're just like, okay, this is not working for any of us. Right. And, and, uh, Steven Hager was there and he was more kind of like, that wasn't his thing as much. You know, he definitely, he definitely helped us in honing things in and fine tuning things and maybe like, you know, maybe if you simplify this picking, you know, he said to me on a part, you know, I think that would be a little bit better. Yeah. And even if, you know, certain things like that. And, um, but he wasn't heavy handed. He was just that encouraging and really, he brought a really great energy and an excitement for doing it. And it kind of sparked an interest in me and recording that I hadn't even, that I hadn't had before.
1: Awesome. The, uh the song Baphomet, or am I saying it right? Baphomet.
0: Yeah, I think so. Bath, <laughs> it. Yeah. I've
1: never actually said it out loud before, so that's an instrumental on slip that vocals ended up in that later because I've seen you guys live and Walter does vocals. Like, did you not have vocals done? Was it intended as a instrumental at first? I've always been curious about that.
0: It's gone back and forth. It was originally there's in speaking of that song, it was something that I had you got to look at some earlier versions of it. Mm-hmm. and there was a couple of different versions like different different parts you know we had the main theme and and then we played with different like a different b part a different c part but then this and walter sang over it for a while and i think it was either a barbed cadence or some borrowed lyrics because we just needed to fill things out and at the at the time of recording I think we just ultimately were kind of like uh, an instrumental would be cool. You know, we had an instrumental on the, on the EP. It definitely lightened the load. You know, I can't remember clearly like when that definitive moment was to say, this is an instrumental, but, you know, we came one and we were stoked on that for a while. And then later, yeah, you know, we always reserve the right to change things around.
1: Yeah. So uh, we have the record out, right? What was the response like at the time? Now, I can look back on it now, of course, and theorize on it and all that stuff. And one thing that's cool about the band is you avoided all the major label sellout bullshit. Like Quicksand, at least from my experience, is a pretty universally loved band and influential band. Like you're accepted by the hardcore scene. You're accepted by the alt scene. So many people cite you as a reference. And we can look back and... And see all that now clearly, but what's the vibe at the time when the album comes out?
0: Um, I think there was well, I remember a lot of excitement and a lot of like like in in my personal world and the people I knew in bands and the people it, it really felt like um it really felt like it was warmly received and appreciated and people were excited about What it was bringing to to that world, like we didn't all of a sudden pack up and stop hanging out where we were hanging out and abandon anything in the sense of like we didn't move cities, we didn't change this, we didn't change, we didn't change anything. We just were experimenting with expanding our sonic palette, and and I a lot of people just kind of people were were really cool about it. We had some when we started to travel in. And like we had went from a van that that the seats weren't even buckled in, and we were just driving dangerously and living just like, you know, like we 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 had so much less than the bands we were playing with. At the, you know, <laughs> we'd come and these kids would have like a solid van, solid thing at this, and our shit was always so janky and like. <laughs> but then we wound up in not our gear, but our van, and then we wound up with a bus. And we were like, we felt a bit guilty for a while, you know, that, that had happened. And so in some cases, you know, we, we felt like, oh, this is weird. We felt uncomfortable getting, you know, with the transition in some ways, mm-hmm. but we, we were really happy with the, with the response that we were getting from our peers. And we were really happy with the energy that we were getting at the shows. It, it just, we were playing so much. It felt super solid and you know, it was it was it was a nice time. I mean, I remember just having the album mixed and finished, and I was living in Park Slope at the time, just walking around with my Walkman, and I had the cassette, and I, and I was just like, I was so stoked. I would just take long walks listening to the record on repeat. It was it just made me. I was really excited.
1: I love that. Yeah, and it's like a completely different time for music because labels would put more money into bands and take more time to support the band. I mean, you had two full length records. You did like five music videos. I I assume you weren't working like other jobs while all this was going on. You had to, you guys had time Mm -hmm. to just focus on the band and be out there and doing it. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and we had really, you know, we, we had um, Scott and Doc McGee as our management at the time. And they had, you know, they had a lot of success. They had, they were doing Skid Row. They were doing Scorpions. Uh, God, who else? Um, they had other, you know, they had basically, basically they had a history that they were able to, to also, besides, besides being in a good place, you know, right place, right time, besides mm-hmm. having built um, and being part of a subculture that, that mm-hmm. had us traveling, you know, internationally before anything, we had them to as an interface with with like with a major label, and able to say, hey, like you know, we we've done good business together. We we have a track record and proof of concept. Like, give these guys a shot. And so there was a lot of things you know we had to win that our back.
1: Yeah. So moving into manic compression, what's the conversation at the time? What are we going to do differently because it's definitely a departure from slip. Slip is way groovier. Mana Compression is like a supercharged, uh, more supercharged. It's faster. It's a different vibe. Like, would... Um, tell us a little bit about that, like, moving into that record.
0: I think that, like... I think everyone's going to give you a different story, in yeah. a sense. You know, like... But from my perspective, I don't think there was so much, like, a conscious thing, like... You know, and I think there was a lot of subconscious things. I think there was a bit of, like, a bit of wanting to kind of amp things up a little bit. Not so much talking about it, but you know, just kind of like, it's almost like the pe- a natural pendulum swing from Slip in the sense that we come from the hardcore scene, we have a certain certain pace, certain tempo, certain things. The record Slip was a little bit slower than we were even playing some of those songs. And, and then this was in a reaction as a reaction to that, if that makes sense. Yes. Just like, you know, we went with uh, Wharton Tears, and even the way that he records, you know, from two inch to one inch, the the energy that that has, all of those things kind of played some conscious and sub subconscious factors to making a more aggressive record. And then, and then at a certain point in in doing some guitars and doing some overdub stuff over at Don Fury's, like if I'm remembering correctly, a lot of stuff got dumped to ADAT. And and then that kind of gave it like its own its own kind of thing, which was more aggressive and kind of like compressed sounding. And that's where the title came from because we're we're playing up the fact that that it, it was like a really compressed sounding record <laughs> and it had a whole different thing. So it was funny. At the time I was kind of like I didn't like it as much because I liked the 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 how uh slip just sounded kind of grand to me. Yeah, and this sounded more. Con- it was a, you know, it had uh, this was like a contraction and a recoil in a sense. But like the beauty of time is like it, it just it gives you perspective, and you can listen to things without being mired in whatever the hell it was going on in your life at that time, or whatever you were thinking, or whatever was going on. And and I just was like, wow, this sounds cool. You know, and I listen to Slip, and I go, wow, this sounds cool. There were things that I loved about Slip. At the time that now I hear it and I was like, oh, I would have done this so different. I would have had done this with my tone. And, and then there were things that manic compression that I was dissatisfied with at the time that now I love.
1: Time will always change our perspective on those things. And me, I'm coming at it from a completely different angle because I heard manic compression first, I guess, when I was around 19, 18, 19 years old. And then I went backwards and heard Slip. And I almost didn't like it at first. I was like, "Wait, this is like way different." You know, I'm used yeah. to this fast, <laughs> like, snapcase sounding alt band. I want that. Uh-huh. But then yeah. I went back and really got into Slip, and then that became my favorite. So it's like, uh, yeah you you get you get both things.
0: Yeah, it was I, I mean, in now from where I stand now, I listen to. I listened to those two records and now we have, you know, two more records to kind of add to that. Yes. And what I can hear as the common denominator is just like, wow, we play how we play. Yeah. And we have like, you know, we have different phases and different moments. And, um, you know, one of the the coolest things I've heard about what an album is, is uh, that it's just a snapshot in time. It's just kind of capturing whatever you were going to do and whatever you had at that time that you were doing it. And there's nothing more than that. And just look at it from that lens. And, you know, that's kind of, that's it.
1: And, that's it. Um, Yeah. I've said that same thing before. That's it. However much time you have to record what everyone's going through what's going on at the time like it's just that moment in time for however long it is for however long yeah. you have to record it
0: yeah i remember i mean like the person who said that once was uh stefan carpenter you know in deftones and he said that and i was like whoa
1: <laughs> and it kind of took
0: a lot of like pressure off of what a record is to me yeah you know it's just kind of like well, yeah and that's it you do what you can do you show up and you show up and you're just basically it's a it's a Sonic diary of your works at for who that person is at that time in that group and, and all the gravity that everyone has and the way we're all tugging and pulling on each other and you get you listen to it and, and any artist shouldn't be completely satisfied with, with it at the time, but you have to have the um, gumption to see it through. And then you can listen to it later when you're a different person.
1: So we know the band went on to play an incredible amount of shows. I think that last year we're playing what hundreds of shows a year?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there were like careers where I, I think at most we might've had like eight months of touring in a year. I could be wrong, but <sighs> it's somewhere around that.
1: Unbelievable. That, I mean, so what happens? So we just get sick of each other, too much time on the road. We get burnt out the initial end.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think in a nutshell, not sick of each other, not nothing personal, but I think just kind of burnt. Yeah. Just kind of burnt out and lying. And I think, obviously, where where we are now is kind of like you go, oh yeah, you take a break, yeah, you know. But I think at the time and the intensity was kind of like, you know, it. We just we just stopped, and but the thing was was like on a personal level, we maintained a love and friendship the entire time, so. You know, like at the time that we started talking to get back together, and, you know, I was uh, with Deptons at the time and just seeing us, like, oh, yeah, those guys never kind of really broke up. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you could just take a break for a few years. But, that, you know, it's like, that's how people do it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good that you, uh, maintained friendships with everybody and just knew like okay we take a break right because sometimes it ends badly or sometimes there's grudges for years like i almost well,
0: no i mean we actually broke up but it, we didn't yeah. take a break but i'm saying like had we had, had I, the person now would have been oh yeah yes like we've we've d- done we've toured so crazy for x amount of years yeah why don't we take a you know why don't we just go do some other stuff for a couple of years and reconvene you know like there was a lot of pressure it was like the end of an album cycle it was kind of like what are we going to do next and and you know we're at a crossroads and the questions and all those things it just felt like a bit much and the end result was not doing anything
1: i see i'm curious about you know there's some unreleased quicksand stuff out there that's leaked over the years requiem hostage calm like did that come about when you guys got back together for a minute in 98, like, was, was yes. that going to be a new yeah. record? What, what was going on? What was going to be the direction of the band?
0: There was, well, a lot of these things, like, as far as direction of the band, a lot of these things are not, there's not like a group consensus. So, like, I think that, like, which is funny because that's kind of my, usually my history in a collaborative band is like, there's no one sit down meeting and say, here's our mission statement, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. You know, everyone has their own thing and everyone has their own thing and 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 you know walter could have had a very specific agenda i had a you know very specific agenda alan his own thing and it may not even be related to songs maybe the effects or the or the or the or the different modes you want to try and everyone has that and you mash it together and then you kind of get it you, you do your best to get something that was like that everyone can back you know, and yeah, so we got back together and we tried to make a third record, and it just kind of like at that time felt like it it ran out of gas, like the energy and the amount of effort that it took to to get where what we were doing, you know, just it it just petered out. So I think that like I think that the songs definitely maintain you know have a have a certain level of quality because of the effort that we put into it, but but I think overall like there wasn't enough. There for it to continue. And then we stayed friends and then it circled around again later and mm-hmm. we did it again. And now we just hit a stride that we've never had.
1: So it just wasn't time yet.
0: That's how I look at it. It's like, yeah. you know, and again, that's you know, like um, everyone's gonna have their own perspective on what that, you know, what that means, you know, like you know, you can talk to anybody and they can give you a completely different answer. But from my perspective now, it just wasn't time. We tried, we did our best, we put a lot of time into getting what we got, and whatever it was at the time wasn't enough to see it through.
1: That makes sense. So, what did you? What did you do after Quicksand? I mean, did you feel lost? Like, were you sad? I mean, you you'd put a lot of time into this band. It was what you were doing for a while. No, I
0: think I felt like well, I was happy for it. You know, I was happy that it happened. I felt, I am um, definitely, like, a super optimist and, and to, to the point of, like, a fault and and can even be naive because I was like, hey, you make another band and you just go back to it. And in a sense, like, it didn't really happen that quickly. I did other projects. I did other things. I had a really good time and building up things in different ways, you know, and everyone else kind of did their thing. Yeah. And And then that was basically it you know put out some EPs and records and and experimented with things that I wanted to do experimented with like really develop my recording really develop my my arrangement my arranging and and I kind of like analyzed the things that I thought you know like I could have done better or that that would make for better um situations you know dynamics and try to try to employ that in like other projects
1: so when you saw the guys doing other bands from quicksand did you think like oh why didn't they ask me or did you did Yeah, you, yes. you wanted time off like you were okay doing your own thing i
0: didn't think that no like when i saw you know i think it gave us a chance to like appreciate each other more like i did a project i did like a solo ep and then it became more of a band thing where um it was uh the drummer from the band chamberlain uh his name is Charlie and and uh first trainer and his wife Sybil, we kind of did like a project that was that was almost in the beta band vibe and it's called Champions of Sound. We we did it, we went like on a whole DIY route and pressed our own vinyl, made our own t-shirts and just kind of built this whole thing up, recorded ourselves and doing that like really upped my skill set in a lot of ways. And you know Walter was doing what he was doing. He's doing Rebel Schools. He was he did he did world's uh, fastest car. He did these things, and we just were able to look at each other and appreciate each other. You know Tom did Handsome, yeah, and um, Alan did Stinson Bands. He was in Seaweed, and all that. All that did was it was never like oh I didn't they call me. It was more like we're all part of the thing. Was that we all kind of like want a certain level of like um we have a vision everyone took <laughs> kind of a vision and you just wanted to uh, everyone took a chance to kind of to kind of refine and work on their vision in various projects So I think it made me appreciate everyone more to not play with them and you know like and I had a chance to be you know like for the opposite to happen whether it happened or not I don't know, but there's a chance to say, oh this is what this this is what he does in other scenarios and I'm saying, oh, this is how he does it And you could hear like what he's bringing to that project. And, and it made me appreciate everyone more to be honest.
1: I like that. That's mature because I, I was really immature. I'd be like, you know, I'd be mad when the band broke up and uh, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't handle things well when I was younger.
0: I think like, I mean, there was a lot of frustration. We all had our own frustrations in the band because you're doing so much and you're so much pressure and there's so much thing. And, you know, like to get ideas to do is everything was hard. Yeah. You know, everyone was, everybody was hard to work with and everybody was really like had an opinion and had a vision and that's okay. You know, like I kind of bought into the idea early that struggle and strife within a band could lead to like a better result because it kind of, it kind of forces and challenges everything and it has to go through the refinement of, 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 obstacles. Right. And um I thought that a band that was too happy go lucky or too yes couldn't be as good as if there was challenges within it. Right. You know? And I and I always thought that that was in a lot of ways the curse of a side band, you know, someone's side project where someone, you know, like does a side project and everyone's just so stoked to work with person X that they're (laughs) just kinda it just kinda flies through every idea flies through and there isn't the same amount of friction at all. And and it often shows in the end result. And not to say that these bands are not good. They're just not, they don't have that the thing. You know, when people are just like, that idea sucks. I don't like that. You got to fight to get your thing through.
1: You know what? That's you a know? great point because when I, yeah, when I see a band, like everyone's really friendly and happy to work together. I'm like, well, oh, good for you. Where's the story? Come on. I need something here.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, people like, let's say like with, with, With quicksand even now, like we still are going, okay, cool. Like we're still like, you know, we still have to like we talk and we, you know, working ideas through and things and things can hit people differently. And you sit there and you go through it. And so there's still that. Yeah. You know, like the way we communicate it is really nice. And we, you know, we communicate way better. But but I think, you know, if you just have people who are just like, Yeah, man, that's fucking awesome, you know, and they don't push back on anything, then yeah, it's it's harder to excel. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Plus being older now, the age we, well, you're a little older than me, but being old, I'm um, being 40 plus, you're not going to handle things like a 20 year old. Like I used to blow up or like uh, be really ham fisted about things. And I, I really try not to do that now. So even if I'm upset, I'll, I'll, I won't i will be like, oh, fuck that stupid idea. I'll be like, well, what if we tried this instead? Or, okay, let's try your thing and see if it works. I just try to be much more uh, agreeable about things.
0: Yeah, and and experiment and understand what they, you know, like, um, understand what the nature or the, the goal of, of the part is and see how you can make it work, you know. So, like, even, even now with us, like, not everything is going to live and not everyone's going to be stoked on things that we have like different touches and different feels that we're going to be like, how do we make this happen? But we're a lot more willing to discuss it and figure it out and bring it way further along. And, you know, sometimes even have a leap of faith and just go like, I'm not hearing this. But then at the end, you go, oh, that brought it home. Yeah. That's
1: you know, the best that when home. you just think it's not going to work or you hate the idea, but then it turns out to be great. And you're like, okay, sometimes I'm wrong. That That's actually that a good it thing.
0: I just, yeah. just something you're missing because, because everyone, you know, everyone is bringing something in and they're hearing it a few steps further than you. So, you know, it's like, it's like always... You know, for me now, it's like always, always, always put my best foot forward and try to elevate anything and everything and get it to a place where everyone's super stoked. And and everyone in quicksand is doing the same thing. And even if they're verbally saying, oh, I'm not, I don't get this yet, you know, it's yeah. okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so a long time goes by before you start playing reunion gigs around 2012, correct? Yes. So how do those conversations start? Um,
0: there was, uh, I forget what anniversary it was for Revelation, but there was like basically, um, it was like, a
4: a Oh, the Rev
1: showcase shows.
0: Yeah. It was like a benchmark year for them. I don't know if it was 25 or 30
3: something. I don't know. Yeah.
0: But basically, so for me, I was doing, I was recording, um, with Deftones, uh, my second album with them, Koi No Yoken. And we were in there and so I was in LA a lot. And the idea of playing those shows come up. I had been thinking about Quicksand a lot, kind of around that time. Walter and I had been in touch somewhat, and I was kind of like, "Wow, you know it it was when I was really thinking that it just it was just like you had your health, you had a good thing and 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 allowed the band to like just kind of not exist, yeah, and so I was thinking about that a lot at that time and the Deftones are really you know the reason that I wound up being with them is because of my Quicksand and Quicksand in general right so
1: yeah because Quicksand uh, toured with Deftones back in the day and didn't you and even, we were
0: homies from the first Warp Tour we were just homies and like and you filled in we, one
1: time back in the day right well we were, yeah when we were working on that
0: third Quicksand album that didn't come to pass yeah you know that, that I did a stint with them and, and it, it, I learned a lot I learned a lot about about perseverance and I learned a different way of of a different workflow and a different mentality and and uh, you know which I'm very appreciative for and so basically how it came down was the rev show the idea of quicksand being the secret band to play Walter and I get to talking you know I'm going into the studio every day so I'm telling you know I was like yeah I talked to Walter about this thing and everybody was kind of like y'all just need to make another record you just need to exist and everybody from within the band to to nick to anyone who was in the mix were just kind of like really really introduced the idea that it could just exist why not
4: yeah
0: you know and um walter and i got to talking and 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 that energy carried over we were just kind of like yeah man, and my and nick rescue Linux was like i'll produce your record everybody our our crew was like i'll be your crew and i will be a guitar tech if you do it and and i know that walter was getting the same thing on his end yeah you know and so we basically we kind of we talked about it and talked about this you know let's do the show let's see how it is and but the kind of idea and the seed to continue was there and and we had like separate things to like um i you know, we had to get Alan and Tom on board, and and since Walter and I were more like at that point touring and doing things, like we were getting a lot of quicksand appreciation from people in our face, and Alan was kind of more out of the mix a little bit, so he didn't see the value in it right away or the the worth in doing that, or think that there would be interest. Oh. So, meaning value, he didn't
1: think that like
0: anyone would care or anyone was thinking about it.
1: Um, That surprises me because, I mean, weren't they aware, maybe they weren't aware, but from my perspective, as a fan who got into you after the band had initially broken up that first time, I mean, over the years, like the legend grew, like people absolutely loved Quicksand. I don't know, there would be stories, tales, there's so much influence, like I started bands solely based on my love of Quicksand, like were you privy to all that, were the guys privy
4: to all that?
0: Well, I think Walter and I had a different perspective because we were still playing in, in the sense of like touring and traveling and kind of being mixing it up with other bands a lot more yeah. than Alan was at that time. Okay. So, in Alan, from Alan's personal experience, he wasn't seeing that or getting that. And you know, the thing—he was still on top of music. He was still doing these things, but he didn't have that direct, like connection to people who who would express their appreciation for the band or or even yeah like touring with uh deaf tones i would be oh i heard quicksand after you know just checking you out and wow it's a cool band and so it was nice like walter and i had a lot of affirmation and from you know so we knew that there was something to it and you know for alan it just became more like doing it because you want to do it and, and what you know why not And he came to visit, but he came by the sessions. He was in LA at some point. He came by uh, the Koi session and, and he got to meet Nick. Who's a very like, very amped up individual. And he was just like, you got to reform this band. You know, (laughs) they had, they're just meeting for the first time. And he was just (laughs) like, he just gave him this whole jolt of energy and everything. And then he even like, and, um, uh Graham Martin, who is Quicksand's current manager, was there at the sessions. He was working with Deftones at the time and was like, uh, "You got to help those guys out." And you know, Nick was just like,
1: everybody was on it.
0: And like I said, Walter was getting that from his from his people as well. So it it was it it gave us a lot of encouragement.
1: That's amazing. And then we know there was a big reaction when you started playing again. I was so excited because. You know, over the years I had seen Walter's other bands, I had seen him perform solo, but I hadn't seen you anywhere and I, it was just legend to me. I you know, there was only old videos to look at, so to see the band for the first time, it was uh it was amazing. I mean, how was it for oh, you guys to fun. be to be playing again after all that time?
0: It was a lot of fun. Like when we did that show, it was a lot of fun because for me um to be in that in in the room with the in the stage and having like people able to access the stage, you know, and get on it. And like, it just, it just was, it. there's so much energy and there's so much life to, to that, to that community, that culture, that thing. It's like to be back in it and have the excitement of playing together after so long. It, it just felt amazing.
1: Yeah. And the, the shows are really fun too. I've seen you a couple of times since then and you just look like you're having a lot of fun and I love that.
0: I feel like I feel like in a way like we we finally like grew into our shoes you know and <laughs> and uh I feel like we had we had something that we're now ready for yeah and we've been together our second tenure or our third arguably is like is been longer than our first
1: yeah cuz it's been it's been 10 years 11 years now yeah Right, if it was my math right, I I can't add I it. so. That's close enough. So. let's say let's just say yeah. Two, yeah. let's say 2012 to now. That's 11 years.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
1: That's amazing. So we have this slip vinyl reissue coming up on Iodine Recordings, which I'm really excited about. What can we expect with this reissue?
0: Um, I just think it's reissued on good vinyl. You know, it's just gonna be. It's going to be a quality reissue. It's, it was something that people couldn't get for quite some time, right? And there, we didn't, we maintained the integrity of what it is. You know, like so, we didn't, we didn't do anything to, to do that other than make it available. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like,
1: it's not like all new art or like all new, no, whatever. No, or... I, didn't,
0: I don't think that was the intent. You know, okay. like. With the, not that I don't think the thing is is that it's something that's been out of print and just was not at all available. It kind of um, it came up that it was going to happen, you know, like that the timing was going to happen. The record was licensed, and we um, Walter has brought a little forward for it, and just to talk about his perspective at that time. But outside of that, we just wanted to. It's it's enough that it's available. You know, it's enough that, like, someone who didn't have the chance to get it or have it on vinyl will have an opportunity.
1: That's amazing. It uh, it comes with a book, too, where it's a bunch of bands saying nice things about you, right? Yeah. Now, that would be... A, I would love that. I would sit there and I would read that book and I would revel in that. And then, uh, I don't know, I'd put the book down because maybe it would get too unhealthy. That's got to be nice, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely nice. Like, to be appreciated. I mean, yes, to have somebody... To have people take the time to kind of say good things about something that you put so much uh, time and effort and love into and and know that it's it's um, touched people in some way is, you know, you can't really ask for more
1: than that. I love it. You, mu- you must have heard that a lot over the years, right? Just like how the band has uh, people's reaction to the band, how much they love it, how influential it is. Are you privy to all that?
0: Yeah, at times, yeah. I mean like you can you know, sometimes you can read like I'll read like um an interview and say, Oh, this is something that, that touched us or that affected us or that guided us and and it's always really cool, especially when you don't when you don't hear it, that means that somehow it was like distilled in such a way that impacted somebody. And that's kind of the nicest way that for an influence to like kind of go through someone where it's not so obvious, but it's just like, wow, I didn't expect this man that that i think is cool or this man that that is really really resonating with people on a large level to to have been impacted by this and so it's nice if we you know that to me is kind of like what i think of that as like you're you're part of a conversation you know you're part of somebody's inner inner musical dialogue and their thing and and their interpersonal dialogue with their bandmates that say like oh yeah this this kind of made me go left when i would have gone right and um i've had a couple of opportunities to meet people in bands that have touched me and i get to say that you know so it's like it's a nice it's nice
1: it's the best right
0: it's nice because it's like the giving and the taking is 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 kind of what it's all about yeah you know it's about it's a and i think that like coming from the hardcore scene the way that it kind of blurs the dynamic between ours like we're the band and you're the fan you know it's always been like the sense of a community and the sense of a give and take and a and like a um a back and forth of an ebb and flow of like energy that yeah. we're, that everyone's feeding each other like having feeling like or or hearing that your band was inspiring, knowing that you've been inspired is like that's that's nice I feel like I feel like um we we get to take a little and give them all.
1: did you ever read? about a band who said they were influenced by you and it really surprised you
0: not really really surprised me in the sense that like well i guess you know i heard that um heard from will yet who you know who produced our who produced our latest two albums and he's just an amazing dude but like he he was working with uh post malone in some jam sessions or some sort of running sessions with, with one of his like core producers. And apparently the the producer whose name, I don't know, but like was like, Oh yeah, he's into quicksand, but yeah, he's into like bands like Circus survive. He's into that world, but I didn't expect that. So yeah, it was nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Post Malone seems like he's got good taste. Like, do you ever hear that Nirvana cover band he does? It's pretty good. Yeah.
0: Now I'm not saying specifically that Post Malone likes quick but one of his producers did. So I'm like, all right, I'll take it. Close enough, right? It. That's cl- close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Post Malone's good. The guy he's his Nirvana band is good. I mean, the guy is clearly a rocker. Yeah. And he's clearly not just a rocker. I mean, he's he is clearly a musical he is he is a musical uh person. He's a person who appreciates things, you know, music, you know, games, things. And that's it's
1: awesome. So when did you get the call about potentially working with Deftones? How did that go down?
0: That was kind of bittersweet in the sense that, that that was a result of of cheese accident. Yes. And that was more bitter than sweet. It was more just kind of like you hear that. I got prepped a couple of weeks before I got the actual call from a homie and like a mutual friend who kind of said it was happening. Mm-hmm and um it was just kind of it was just sad so for me i was like in the spirit of of friendship i had built in before you know it was for like a month and um and in this thing it was kind of like i'm not sure what you need but if i can be of help then i'll be of help so you know i kind of went that route it was first a mutual homie but then then there was like an official reach out and then there was like a call of me talking to to like the guys in the band and and they had seen the last they had seen me i was kind of like i had gotten into djing parties for a few years or a Mm -hmm. bunch of years actually so i was really like threw all my energy into like becoming like a turntablist and and throwing and promoting parties and so they weren't quite sure that i'd be up to doing it but you know it was like i mean all i had thought of was like yeah it's kind of that is it's a rough rough spot to be in and if i can help you know then then let me know what i can do
1: yeah i mean it must have been really rough because Chi was in a coma from the car accident you're coming into this thing i mean he ended up passing away while you're still working with the band right i mean it must have been yeah very emotionally taxing for everybody
0: it was very hard and um because it's hard for all of those reasons and like for me it kind of for me it just kind of narrowed my focus to just like how can i help yeah and and their help was their their response was just like you know like we loved playing with you before we're not sure how to work with quicksand but whatever you brought to that bring to this and let's let's just let's do our best and you know nick rask linux was there and that's that that was kind of the the launching point for uh for diamond eyes and then and everything that came after
1: and what happens when you come into that situation i would be nerve wracked because any new situation scares me but do you do you just get like tracks and you have to write to them or is some stuff already no no there was
0: no it was just like it was the way quicksand works actually it was kind of in a way the way quicksand works and in a way a mirror of the way quicksand works like like um there was nothing we just went in there we made noise and then thing that was most interesting sounding in in like this sea of noise kind of people gravitated towards and you just started fleshing things out and like and and developing songs or developing ideas and we would we were very meticulous about recording everything and and um having stuff to listen to that night so that really helped speed things along because you would catch you know like a, a moment from its inception To whatever it was 30 minutes later, and you can isolate it at its best part and then build off of it. And um, so for me, like the stressful part was feeling like just wanting to do a good enough job and just knowing that, like, that my skill level was up to, you know, up to par Mm -hmm. and just not taking that for granted. And outside of that, it was just, it was just like, uh, just helping in any way I could. So. You know, like the 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 severity of the situation kind of really made the made the things to think about very narrow. It was just like do the best you can for people in a bad spot that you're friends with.
1: Yeah, it's a t- it's a very tough situation because of what's going on. But knowing me and sounding like uh, for you too, I would just be like laser focused on doing everything I could to make the project, the band, as good as I could. You know, like because that that's what I do. Like I I don't think about things because it's too painful. So I, I just like throw myself into work and that's how I push myself through things.
0: Yeah. It was like, I mean, basically it was kind of, there was a lot, you know, like our boys in a bad spot and Nick was very much like a champion and cheering things on. It's like, just get it. Um, you know, let's get this thing. Let's bring our best energy. Let's put our best foot forward. Nick was really cool because he made me, you know, they made me, you know, we're already homies. They made me feel welcome from the jump, but like, he um he was like hey uh you gotta give me you know he would he sat us down for dinner and went through every person and was just like abe i want to hear this and kind of hummed a beat that he loved you know i think it was like around the fur uh stefan give me this and he hummed a, a thing and and you know he went down the line and just kind of hummed uh, a little passage of music that that person had done yeah and then, so I was like, oh, this is great. And then he went to me and he he kind of, he hummed the beginning of uh, Head to Wall. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, <laughs> I was like, I was mean. Nice. He just felt like very excited because he was like pumped, you know, and and uh, that brought a lot of energy to the whole thing.
1: That's awesome. I like that, uh, at least for that record, you guys are in a room playing together, hammering it out. I, I wouldn't imagine that it would go down like that. Yeah, it was like that for
0: everyone, all of them. That's cool. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I mean, we don't live close to each other, and similarly with quicksand. Like, we get into a room and we hash it out. Yeah, and there there are going to be instances in both bands where where like, especially since since I can record at home, you know, I can I can lay down like a demo of something or lay down like some you know scratch tracks just to get the idea across. Mm-hmm. Email it out. Walter can do the same. He'll do it more like he'll do it more like. Like drop something on, on his, uh, iPhone, kind of reference it. We can, we can flesh it out together. He, he's lately, he's, you know, like the past couple of records, he's come by my apartment sometimes and we can like lay things out and kind of get it to a certain point. So it's, it's a little bit less time consuming when we're, when we're in rehearsals together, Mm -hmm. you know, we can get it, we can get it moving a little bit. And, and the same with, uh, with. Deftones, you know, I can demo out a song idea and send it out and say, Hey, um, Stefan would do the same with a guitar, you know, just like here's me ripping on guitar, got some parts, check it out and vibe with it, you know, and then uh, everyone kind of would, you know, Chino could do a little like his little phone recording me ripping out some ideas, you know, come in. Yeah. So, but the, but things come to life when you're actually just kind of there together.
1: Always. That's the way to do it.
0: Yeah. So even if it's like, even if it's like, here's a demo with like everything, and then everything winds up like actually being just like, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. But it still really elevates a lot as a band together.
1: I'll never forget hearing Diamond Eyes for the first time. Now, I, I still listened to Deftones, but not quite as much as I used to. But then I heard you were joining the band and I was like, holy shit, that's like, awesome and then yeah so just thanks for your contributions to that album because i'll never forget like hearing the first track on the album for the first time and just being like oh shit yes i like it what's was going fun. on here
0: it was really fun because like i had um that song came together in a nice way where i think abe and i were jamming on um, a couple of parts what became like uh the chorus and like the part after the you know yeah. like it's like what became the b and the c parts And Stefan had independently, you know, had been jamming on what was the verse. And Nick was like, jam that together. Mix (laughs) that, put that with that. And we're like, whoa, that's hot. And that was really, that was really fun. I was like, this is producing. You know, like, this is like letting, just listening and being an active listener and like listening to what people's doing and like catching some fire and then, and then like not saying, oh, do this or do that. But more like, hey, why don't you try those together? I think that's going to work. And, you know, those things like that were pretty, were were really awesome. I learned a lot from him.
1: Yeah. And uh, there was some performance. It was like an outdoor performance of that song on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Do you remember that? Yeah, That's yeah. like legendary in my mind. That was like so good. It was fun. I
0: mean, like the beauty I think of, the beauty of both bands is that they, and why I said they're kind of mirrors of each other is, is that like, and kind of informed each other. Was quicksand is very meticulous about about parts, and we run parts, and we're going to run how this how this flows into this, and try a lot of different things. And Deftones is more like we're feeling this. This has a good bounce. We're there, and and I think they spilled over to each other. Where some of the some of the you know in in talking about how quicksand did things, we try to employ some of those things and kind of put a little extra effort into some detailing and, and running parts in a different way yeah. and focusing in and quicksand learn to step back a little too from them, from that, from just like, Hey, if you're feeling it, it's gotta be something. And just, uh, like having that confidence uh, to see at home. And, um, you know, so it was, it's for me, like, I just, I get to learn a lot just from both parties because they both bring a lot of things as individuals. And they have, they have, um, high bar for what it for what it should be and but go about it differently you know so it's like hey, this is this is great
1: that's amazing yeah so we know that quicksand started writing again we have interiors the 2017 record we have distant populations the 2021 record when did discussions with quicksand start again about writing and how was that because i mean you guys hadn't written together in a long time
0: It was fun. I think that what we did was not to put pressure on ourselves. So we just kind of got together and jammed before we, we, we did the thing where we were just like, we're just jamming. We're not going to put any external pressure on ourselves. And we kept everything very secretive and learned that the less you say, the less outside anything there is and no deadlines on anything. And one of the things that I had, that I had really honed was like, um, was just making sure that everything was recorded and so we would record everything and i would go home and kind of like compile it and put it into folders and everything and we just had a lot of ideas and we kind of the only challenge that we didn't put this pressure on ourselves but when we started to feel like we were going to make a record we're like well surely we can't make our third record 22 years later like we should make like what would be our sixth record or our fifth record like Uh how would we have just evolved yeah. You know, and then and then we kind of realized that we didn't have to put that pressure on ourselves and think about it. We just needed to document everything. And um it took a long time because we we had a lot of material. We were writing and finishing things a lot faster than we ever had, but we still couldn't picture what would be a quicksand record. You know, we had things that were like, this would be dope if we called it something else. And um, but what became our cornerstone was uh, the song Illuminate. Yes. And when we had that, and when we landed that, everything came into focus because we were like, that is the the link between what we were and what we can be. And at that point, you know, at a point, we, even when we got a little bit like frustrated and we started to be like, is this, maybe it's just, you know, whatever, we have fun, play some shows, we can jam, whatever. You know, um that was the beauty of documenting things because in the past we didn't and you you have a lot of things that just go into the ether and you know there's no evidence of what you've been doing so you just kind of like you just feel like there's nothing to show for your effort right but we got together and we listened to all these folders of things over what had now been like a few years and you're like and you have this the one song and you go whoa we have something this and this and this you know something that didn't make sense before we had Illuminate, you know now makes sense and certain things that were kind of making sense, but felt we didn't feel fully, fully right about. We knew that it wasn't, you know, it's like, this is not for this. And that was really helpful. So when we landed that and it and it was received well, we f- well, well, first when we did it and recorded it. We felt like now we have a starting point to know where we can, you know, we have, we know where we can do now. We know that we can do this. And the fact that people, you know, like, liked it and dug it made us feel like okay now we can we can expand um on these
1: themes so did illuminant did you release illuminant before the whole record was done like uh, was this was it just a single that was out there like how did the whole thing work no i don't think so okay
0: no i think you just you just did the record but um but that was the song that kind of just helped things it, it gave us focus
1: yeah. And and of, understandably mm-hmm. so because that song is killer and it sounds like you guys.
0: It sounds like us, but and it, and it kinda, it, it's kind of it is it's fun. It kind of references the song had one job. <laughs> <laughs> the song had and, and and it was like it was like the one job that it had from the beginning, from even before it really was finished was to help focus things in and build around Yes. You know, it's like it didn't even have to make the record. It had one function and that function was to make sense, you know, to everything was spinning around and like, and just give us, give us, uh, like it was our North Star and we were able to, to orient around everything that we had had, which was years of ideas, you know, before we had no ideas and we had, and we were like, this is what we got. Let's record it. Yeah. And now it's was like we have so much stuff. But what is us? Who are we?
1: Yeah, it must be difficult because there's all these years, like decades, uh, you know, there's older, there's there's that third record that never happened. There's those songs. I mean, Walter has been in a lot of bands. You've done different stuff. There's just... It's like, where do you start? Do we do something old? Do we try to sound like an old record? Do we just do what yeah. we are now? It's like it's, there's no, a lot like, to sift through.
0: It couldn't be either, in a yeah. sense, because that was the challenge. It's like you can't. It's like you can't go making a third record now. It's going to be. It's not going to be genuine. And then it was like we can't just do whatever the hell we want to because we're coming from different spaces and different things. And like the kind of music that we're doing in our other products aren't applicable. And, and but then you know the beauty of it is like what i was stoked on is kind of like it's it it was like what it always was but with better communication and just more confidence of just just making noise and seeing what sticks yeah and then having some ideas that you kind of that you kind of gestated a little on your own at home and throwing that into the fire and and um seeing how that lives you know and I think in that way, like Walter and I have different approaches. Walter can say, "Hey, I've been working on this. I got this A and B part, and we just build it up together." Mm-hmm. And then me, sometimes what I'll do is just sneak it in, like I like I didn't have anything, but I have not like a song, yeah, like and then I go, "Here's a hey, you know, I'm just jamming on a part," and and then getting that along, and then I'll introduce the next part of the thing. And then Alan's like, "Oh my god, we just jammed that out!" And I was like, "I had that at home." And now he <laughs> so now he kind of is like, "You just made that up, right? You didn't." You're not you not sneaking one in on us. I was like, no, no, I just <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> Whatever yeah, you gotta a... do to get the job done.
0: Well, that's kind of what I, I I you know, like I've I've developed so many strategies for like like the seeing the way producers work and seeing recordings and what it takes to bring home a thing. I've learned so much and like
4: yeah.
0: wanting to even protect ideas. Sometimes protecting ideas that like I didn't even come up with from, from Death, you know, by recording them and 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 just keeping them on ice for a while and re and replaying them later when when there's a better chance for them to live, you know, there's little things that that just you know that help get things across the finish line when you have a lot of people with a lot of good ideas and and can you know like you're you're mired and you're in that you're in the trenches of trying to get a record through. It's not easy,
3: right?
1: Uh, distant Populations, that album starts with a drum fill. Is that a throwback to Slip, or is it just a coincidence? Coincidence. Ah, it's a wonderful coincidence, Maybe though, it is. isn't it?
0: You know you what? Know, see, that's the thing.
1: That's the thing, because that's me talking. So I'm like, all
0: right, yeah, like, here's this idea, and Alan, you know, or, well, somebody had that I didn't do it, and they can, they're can. they going to say, well, I was really thinking this. I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> oh, I didn't tell these guys, because they might have, like, blocked it if, if they knew that, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I thought it was really cool. I liked it was like in my mind, it was like a nice throwback. I'm like, all right, here we go.
0: The song itself is kind of definitely a throwback vibe. And, and kind of when we were building it up, um, a band that was on our mind a lot, not even at the first thing, but we kind of realized that that it really reminded us of nausea. Ah. And that's a band that I'm like, you know, like really love and was like a a pivotal band for me. And also being a New York band and, and a band that we were friends with, you know, it was so wild. So like at this point, to be using them as a reference and, and kind of like, even though the, that wasn't the the initial spark of the idea, but it went through a period of like, wow, like referencing that and even the cadence and the way that the way that they sang like in their early early iteration and the way that they they the mood and the vibe that they had was informative.
1: Oh wow. The opening drum fill and phaser, do you know that's in every single episode of this podcast? No. <laughs> I use uh, it as a transition uh, from uh the first segment to the interview. That's hot.
0: <laughs> I think it's um Alan Alan is is uh he's one of those people that like I think about certain drummers who make life so easy for the strings because it's like oh you just do that and I can just hit like an E. Yeah. And just kind of like raise my arm and it's going to sound like the best thing ever. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, this is the best thing ever. Those which are, are the, which the, often makes me think, you know, it makes me think, sorry to cut you off, but it makes oh no, me think ahead. about, about the, how drummers can be undervalued. So often when you're dealing with like a singer songwriter type of person who's kind of like, I got these things and they, and they just have this kind of chord or these chord structures that are pretty generic. Yeah. And or, or lifted and then, Drums will add so much to it and give it life, but you didn't write the song, you know. And yeah, it's a it's a shame.
1: Those are uh, my two favorite drum fills: opening drum fill of Phaser and opening drum fill of a uh, Caboose by Snapcase.
0: Yeah, Alan's Alan's awesome.
1: Yeah, incredible. There's only one Alan Cage. It's true.
0: Yeah. and I think I think like what's what's cool about him now is like, and what I think that we all kind of share is is with perspective is a lot of appreciation for each other or fandom for each other yeah and um alan especially really loves drums i mean he is really he really takes the time to really understand his craft and master his craft and and the language of it the math of it everything and it's so cool to see my like, he's by far the most knowledgeable musician of us like we kind of you know we kind of know what we're doing i know sometimes oh god this is here's the time signature for this but i don't know alan can break things down very like you know granularly it's it's awesome
1: ah so he's on that level
0: yeah it really helped us yeah i mean even today we're working on an idea we're just kind of like dialing it in and playing with like with the with a polyrhythm that you know like how it fell and Yeah, he just kind of was able to break down the map. (laughs) He's like, this is what's happening here. it's like, all right.
1: Thank you. So, Sergio, tell us what's coming up. Now, we know the Slip vinyl reissue is coming out on Iodine Recordings. That will be out and probably sold out by the time this episode airs. But what else? Where can we see you? Where can we hear you? What can we expect?
0: Man, you know, like what I, the truth of the matter is, and not even being intentionally made is is that right now our year is a mist <laughs> waiting to congeal? Like we know, we know that we have this record coming out, and we're stoked on that, and we want to do things to honor it. And we're mm-hmm. we're bouncing ideas, and we're doing things in in terms of like, hey, this might be cool if we did this. You know, this might be cool. Like since we want to, we we want to like, uh, we don't want to just do like, oh, here's a drop, here's a bundle, here's a thing, and then kind of forget about it. Yeah. We don't want to necessarily just do like oh let's just do a full set here or there you know that can definitely obviously obviously is has a a likelihood of happening of like you know it's performing it but but to be completely honest right now what we have are concepts missed (laughs) it was just a bunch of mist it's like and the day that it's the day that it's all figured out and the day that things land there are the days that we can i'm not even saying that there's something half-baked that we're going to that that I'm not telling you because I don't want to drink it. It's kind of not even that, you know. It's just like, all right, we know we're going to do this. We know these are the regions that we're going to hit. All right, let's start talking about that. You know, we want to. we obviously want to go to the U.S. We obviously want to go to Europe. We obviously want to get over to to Japan or Australia. So we know that. Yeah. But- okay.
1: So there's a there's a mist out there and that mist will form into wonderful ideas. We don't know what they are yet. We don't want to say them because we don't want to jinx it. So we're gonna wait. No,
0: no, no. No, I'm saying that it's not if it was even that developed, I would tell you. I would say, Hey, we got some things that I don't want to jinx. We don't even have anything to not jinx yet, other than that, like we're stoked that we're stoked to have an album that is of interest to people 30 years later.
1: Yeah. That's got to blow your mind, right? Did you think you would be talking about this album in 2023?
0: I didn't think that far ahead then. I I was just kind of like, yeah, make a record, and you know, like um, I've been in a sense been playing with house money for so long because my goal was to play CDs and you know play CDs matinees and have um, people there and be and be part of of the uh, fabric of of the hardcore scene. Yeah. And when we branched out of that and we did this and to be able to, to be a musician for this long is like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, this is great. It's amazing. Yeah. And I, uh, but, but like I said before, you know, like there was a period where, where I took it for granted for a second of like, yeah, this just kind of happens. You just do it and it happens. But I realized that there's a lot, a lot, a lot more that goes into it beyond talent, beyond beyond dedication there are so many factors that are outside of your control and and one of them being chemistry of people mm-hmm. and um so yeah like i'm i can i can say that we're we all have a, a profound appreciation for what this is and the fact that this album resonates with people now
1: i love it i love it well sergio you know i've been listening to you for many many years you've inspired me you've inspired many. Uh, I thank you for all your contributions in music. I look forward to more. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on this show.
0: Thank you for having me keep. I appreciate it.
1: And there you have it, Sergio. Vega. Now, I always say this on the show, but I know it's a great conversation when I dream about it that night after I have the conversation. That happened with Sergio. I had dreams about this conversation before I even talked to Sergio. I was really anticipating it because Quicksand is one of my all time favorite bands. And like I told Sergio, you know, I can pick out each person in the band, I know their first and last name. Quicksand's music has just been foundational for me throughout my life. And I'm so happy that we had him on the show, you know, he was, he was so nice. He was so forthcoming. I got to ask all the stuff I always wanted to know about that. I didn't get to ask Walter when he was on like uh, those unreleased songs. That was going to be their third record when they got back together in like 98, but that never came to light. And, you know, just uh, what he did during the hiatus coming back together and writing interiors and distant populations, the new album and, some of his work in Deftones, you know, like, like I was explaining to Sergio, I, I was still listening to Deftones, but like not as much. And then when I heard he was joining the band, I was just so excited. And Diamond Eyes, I think, is uh, their best album outside of White Pony. So it was cool to hear about that and some of their creative process. Great conversation, right, Matt? Absolutely. How do you feel about Quicksand? Are they, are they uh, an important band
2: to you? quicksand yeah that's absolutely um so i got that seven inch when it came out in revelation you know yeah and then uh they kind of with with slip they stepped back into my uh you know my my frame of thinking as far as as good music goes but when i heard that uh that song shovel on the uh the anti-meta compilation i was like all right i need to really 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 dig into a little bit more i was lucky enough to see them uh twice back in the day um i believe the first time was was with into another at um trenton city gardens in like 93 or 94 and then i saw them on the this was the was it the first warp tour yeah five right so that was uh that was the last time that i saw quick i only saw them twice but they were a band that i developed much more appreciation for after the fact you know yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, slip is fantastic. Matic Impression is fantastic. That that seven inch is amazing. It's it's also escaping my memory. But the uh, the cover, the Smiths cover that they did, um, was also really really good. And I'm not a I'm not a Marcy or a Smiths fan, um, so that's one of the few covers that I, I usually like. I like more than the original, you know, that song. And then uh, Faith No More did a, a cover of War Pigs back in the day as well. That I've always had an appreciation for.
1: Yeah, um, that quicksand cover of How Soon Is Now. I all I don't I don't like Morrissey personally or his music, and I've never needed. really liked The Smiths. But mm-hmm. that cover is great, and it's on the Slippery issue that Iodine's putting out. So that's good.
2: It's much more energetic than the original. Yes, you know, and I I really I really like that song. And um, the, again, the the song from the Anti Matter comp, which I believe is called Shovel, but don't quote me on that.
1: No, it is, and that's an unbelievably awesome song.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely. And again, it was that point. I think that that comp came out in '96, so they weren't. I don't believe they were active at that point, or just on the verge of breaking up. But when I when I heard that that song, I was like, hell yeah, you know. Then I got I got back into the you know the records. Um, It was good. Better late than never, Keith. You know, right?
1: Exactly. Better late than never. Well, Sergio thank you so much again for coming on the show A plus conversation I loved it so Matt let's talk about ourselves how are we doing now you caught me up a little bit in the first segment I think the last time i the last time I remember seeing you was when we had like a one yes. session band practice when we were I was like yep. 18
2: that was probably in 2001 yeah um, i that's I think that's the only time we've actually st- our paths have actually physically crossed, you know? (laughs) Um, But I remember that it was you, me, and one of your friends. It was in somebody's bedroom. Yeah. And it was, it was fun.
4: Yeah. We jammed
2: and and we never jammed again. And I don't, like, I don't know what happened, you know?
1: We, oh, you know what? I think I quit the band. I, uh, I'm starting a band with that same guy now, except he's playing drums. And I asked him like, what happened back in the day? Like, why? Why did we stop playing? And he said, "Oh, you quit the band. You said that I was too bossy." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds about right."
4: <laughs> so there enough. you go. That's what Fair happened. Enough.
2: Yeah, I, I I remember that. Um, and it was. I thought we, what we were doing was good. Yeah. If If I remember correctly, one of my previous bands, Five Stars of Failure, had just broken up. So, you and I, I don't know how. I don't know how we got connected. I have no idea. I don't think we'll ever know. You know. Yeah. But. But we did. We jammed for maybe two or three hours on a weekend and then that was it. And I, I don't and then after that it was like, hey, keep f- Centerfuse, you know, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So oh yeah, you were on Centerfuse too, right? I was, yeah, yeah. I knew you were around. I knew you were in bands. I would see your name around, but I guess we just never reconnected until right now.
2: Same thing. Better late than never, Keith.
1: Exactly. But that's that's why we're here. That's why this podcast exists for me to reconnect with everybody i guess oh you know what matt you did uh when i was doing that band the basement year which actually never got to play a show i think you invited me to open a king slender gig right
2: yeah i i, I that that sounds familiar i'd actually forgotten about that band uh completely until you said that and that happened yeah yes, but the show so- the show the show didn't, the show didn't happen but I oh really that. yeah yeah we didn't you didn't you didn't want to playing something happened the show didn't happen um did you did you wind up playing shows with with that band
1: never uh we recorded the record most of the band quit i kept trying to put it back together yeah, but, but it wasn't working right. and then i just gave up cuz i moved on to other things
2: all right yeah that sucks um, Yeah. well that's
1: okay though because i i'm on to some new stuff now so let's see Let me catch you up. I lived in uh, Philadelphia from, let's see, 2004 to 2012. Then I moved up to New York City for work. And I've been here ever since. I've been in a few bands up here, nothing that ever really took off. And then this podcast started in 2020. There's been other stuff too, you know, uh, sinking into the depths of addiction, pulling myself out, uh, small stints in comedy and DJing and acting. And you wouldn't believe all the stuff
2: that's going on up here, Matt. That sounds like some really good stories in there, Keith.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if you listen to this entire podcast, all 162 episodes, you'll hear some of those stories.
2: <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair well done. That was very well done right there, Keith.
1: I'm on I'm starting a new band now with uh that same guy from the other jam session that we had. Uh we almost have a full set. Just two, two of you? Yeah, uh three piece. Okay. Yeah, I'm playing guitar and singing and we got a bass player and a drummer. So that's happening and yeah, I I am I'm getting back out there in the music world soon. Hopefully I hope, But, uh, but, but I want to talk about you, Matt, because your band King slender has a new record out. It's called gold days. It's very good. I encourage everybody to go listen to it. Tell us about the band. Tell us about how long it's been around and tell us about this record.
2: Yeah. So, um, I played in several bands uh, in the past with uh, my my friend, Justin. Um, He and I were in a band called Five Stars to Failure, suburban Philadelphia, Screamy Emo. We were around from 99 to 2001. I believe after that band, he joined, he started the minor times. He played bass in the minor times for a little bit. Um, He actually had a falling out with uh, some of those folks and quit the band. And then he and I started another band called Fighter High Abusa. So we played a couple of shows uh, in early 2004. And then I moved to Georgia uh, in, I believe it was August of 2004. So I quit Fighter High Abuse and had moved to Georgia. And they continued on with another drummer and they added another guitar player. They eventually broke up in 2005. And then Justin, to my knowledge, was, was pretty inactive in music at that point, right? So while I was living in, in Athens, Georgia, I was there. Six years, two thousand four to uh, two thousand ten. Uh, it's awesome college town. A lot of lot of cool things going on down there. But you know, it was time to go after six years. Um, I was I was ready to just ready for a new adventure. So I was playing in a band called National um, when I was living in Georgia. Uh, I was female fronted, screamy emo stuff. I basically I played the entire like you know my my entire musical career has been one type of band. It's like mid nineties, emo, hardcore. Right. So, um, I had to quit, I had to quit national to move back to to Pennsylvania, to Philly. Right. So I was in Georgia for six years, moved, moved to Philly 2010. Uh, I met someone and moved to Sydney, Australia for, for two years, 2012 to 2014, uh, for her job. And then we moved back to Philadelphia. We eventually split up and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I lived in Philly from 2010 until about 2019. And then in 19, I moved uh, up to like the Glenside area, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And I've been out in the Burbs for the past, you know, three or four years. I'm glad I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, right? I'm, I'm from Bucks County. I'm, I'm from the Burbs, right? So mm-hmm. Philly, Philly's my city, right? I grew up 10 minutes away from Trenton, New Jersey. I didn't hang out in Trenton. I hung out in, in, in Philly. You know, like my first 20 or 25 shows in the early 90s took place at the, you know, legendary City Gardens in Trenton. So I saw a lot of crazy shows there, you know, Uh, it was it was crazy. Like, I I feel very, very lucky, Keith, to have been involved in hardcore at the time period that I got into it in the location where I'm from, like where, you know, where we're from. Circa 1995 was fucking bonkers. Like it was crazy. There were so many good bands from our area. Right. Um, so we got lucky, you know, and I'm, I'm very aware of that. I do consider myself lucky be- because of that, because I grew up, you know, in, in the Philly area and got to hardcore in 1992 and going to shows at city gardens in Trenton. It's, it's phenomenal, you know? Yeah.
1: Original city gardens shows. That's like, that's like, that is legendary.
2: Yeah, it's like New Jersey's CBGB, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's like, it was 20 minutes from where I'm from. I'm from Marsville, Pennsylvania. And it's directly across the bridge from Trent. you know? So 10 minutes, I was stage diving and moshing, you know? So <laughs> uh, it, was, it was cool. Uh, it's the first time I saw Quicksand was there. Um, I was at that Youth Today reunion show, that one-off Youth Today show in 94. That was actually the last show that I went to. Sick of It All played it. It was the first time I saw Snapcase. And shelter played too, and then Youth Today had that that one-off like four or five song quick set reunion show. I just remember being bummed out because they didn't play Disengaged, you know. <laughs> uh, but it was awesome, and it was I, I didn't expect that. I didn't know about it. I know a lot of people did. They did realize that there was going to be a reunion, but I had no idea. I was just stoked to uh, to see Sick of It All because they were you know one of my one of my favorite hardcore bands ever, you know. So, but yeah, I uh, I, I do consider myself lucky. Um, I'm happy to be, you know, a 45 year old dude, I'm middle age, and I'm still playing the exact same stuff that I'm, that I was listening to in 1995. You know, I feel like I, I, I don't think I'd be able to deviate from that Keith. You know, um, when I was living in Australia, I played in a two piece hardcore band with one dude who was into like, like fast core, like really, really fast hardcore punk. And I I grew up on like all the, the Revelation Records bands. So I'm, you know, it was into straight edge hardcore, like Judge and you know, Youth Today, Inside Out, Gorilla Biscuits, all that. So this this two piece was a was a combination of my influences of, you know, the youth crew stuff and his influences of like Infest, you know, and, and like really, really fast, sloppy, energetic hardcore with like two minute long songs, you know. Um, and that was fun. But We were, we were an active band for, for like four months. We played four shows. We put out two records and that was it, but at least I got to do it, you know? And, and that's, that's what life's about is being able to do these things while you still can. So.
1: Yeah. I remember you living in Australia now and being like, wow, Matt's in Australia now, now that you mentioned that.
2: It's crazy. It's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's paradise over there. I mean, it's, it's, you know, being, being from Philadelphia, being from the East coast of the United States, our, our cities can be, can be pretty rough. Right, yeah. There's, there's nothing like that in Australia. You can walk to the middle of the street, sit down on the street, and like make breakfast on the street and eat it, and not be worried about trash or like getting. Pulled. I mean, don't do that, but it's it's ridiculously clean. You know, it, it's like obscenely clean for somebody from America, from Pennsylvania, from southeastern Pennsylvania. You know, yeah. Uh, nobody nobody litters. There's not trash. No, nobody's going to rob you. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to worry about anything like that. Um, but the flip side of that is it's ridiculously, obscenely expensive, you know? Um, so people from Australia, they, they come to New York and they buy a whole new wardrobe, Keith, because it's so inexpensive. <laughs> like they lose their minds. Like that's New York. Like, could you imagine if they went to any, pick any town in the Midwest? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it was, it was very opening. Adelaide is, is a beautiful city. Perth is the cleanest city I, I've ever seen. It's like, it's absolutely mind boggling, Keith. You, you wouldn't even believe it, you know? But it's nice. It's very expensive. And there's, you know, crocodiles, you know, you can't go <laughs> swimming. You can't, you cannot go swimming in basically the entire northern part of Australia because there's crocodiles over there. But wow. if, if you, like, if you go to Sydney, you will, you will never want to leave because the beaches there are, are in, insane. Uh, It's beautiful. You know, it it was two years. It was a lot of fun. Uh, It was, it was a chance that like we had to take, you know, so we did it, moved back. Then we broke up that was fine. You know, you know, stuff doesn't work out, but life's, life's, life's about living. And uh, I think as long as you have a positive attitude and you're not hurting other people, you should go out there and you should make as many memories as you can, Keith, because you're only going to be here once.
1: Exactly, and you'll have those memories forever. Now, I mean, how many people from Philadelphia end up living in Australia? You're probably like one of three.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're probably right. You know, (laughs) Um, but it was it was cool. And same same thing with Georgia. Like I I like I like adventures. Yeah, like I like taking chances. um, You know, smartly, right? Yes, think it through, but. Um, I think you got to get your, your butt outside and, and make as many, as many memories as you possibly can and uh, influence as many people in a positive way that you can and, and just experience stuff. So that's, that's how I've lived my life since I was like 22, man, it was just going out there and, and friggin' doing it because one day you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, so yeah, it's, it's been fun.
1: So tell us about King Slender's new record. Gold Days. I've heard the record. I love it. It sounds like all of the great stuff you listen to that you're describing, that emo hardcore mid-90s sound with some little bit of screamo thrown in there. All that good stuff. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, so we've we've been a band. I guess we we played our first show in December of 2016. So we've been around for a little while, right? Um one of my one of my musician bucket list items was putting out a full length. So I've been playing in bands for forever. It's like 19, you know, 1999, right? I was playing in high school bands previous to that, but the first band that got to release vinyl was Five Stars to Failure in like 2000 was when we did that. And I've never been able to be in a band that would last long enough to put out a, a full length. And we were able to do that. There are four labels that were were kind enough to uh, you know take a chance on us. There's uh, Tor Johnson Records, Killer Tofu Records, uh, Chump and strictly no capital letters. They're, those four record labels helped put the put the, the vinyl out. You know, there's a cassette release through Tampa's new Granada records. I think it's 70, units on the cassettes, and all all these labels have their own color, you know, exclusive. So I think Tor Johnson has red LPs and Killer Tofu's got green. Chumpire has clear and then the band has gold. So we've got about 50, 50 copies of uh, you know, a gold gold record that uh, folks can pick up at shows. We don't really, I don't know, the, the band is is it's very natural, right? Like I've been playing this exact kind of music for a long time and I'm I'm very proud of, of this record, right? Uh, we've put out a seven inch in the past, we put out a couple of you know previous cassette EPs, um, and we were finally able to Put out a full length, right? This was a long time coming. This record was released officially on, I believe, February third of this year. But I recorded my drums for this LP in September of twenty twenty, right? So it took it took a long time to finish the recording and then get labels involved, you know. So um, we're we're just you have no idea, Keith. Wow! So three
1: years back in twenty twenty, you finished the drums.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I did my drums in six hours. (laughs) <laughs> nine songs, like all, all nine of those songs are on that, on that record, you know, wow. um, you know, it was, it was easy. I mean, it's, it was, it was easy to produce the record and to record it. It was a very seamless, uh, stress-free, relaxed atmosphere. Um, we recorded over at Gradwell House in uh, Haddon Heights, New Jersey. And it's, I mean, it's, I'm not going to record anywhere else now. You know, that's, that's, that's where we're going to go. Hopefully we'll be recording uh, maybe seven or eight songs Maybe in the next three or four months, we haven't booked time yet. But yeah, it's, we're glad, we're so relieved that this record has finally been able to see the light of day, you know? So it's, it's, we're proud of it, man. We're proud of it, Keith, you know?
1: As well, you should be. I love it.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I if, if two other people tell me that, it makes all, you know, it makes it all worthwhile. Like if some stranger's like, hey, Matt, I, I, I like this, like this, this, you know, listening to your record helped me through, blah, blah, blah. And here, like, you know, that makes the effort, the money, the stress, like the arguments, the interband arguments, the all of the hard work and the time and the the energy and the love that goes into that completely worthwhile, you know? So I'm glad, I'm glad you dig it. And I'm, I'm hoping that maybe some other people will as well, you know? So.
1: They have to, they just have to. And ev- to everyone listening, King Slender will be on the New Scene 2023 Spotify playlist. Some um, you can hear it there, but Matt, tell the people where they can get the record. If you have any shows coming up, where can we find you? Where can we find King Slender?
2: Yeah, so uh, we've got an Instagram account. It's uh, King Slender PA for Pennsylvania. And then I believe we're on Facebook as well. King Slender Music. All of our stuff's available on, on Spotify. It's on iTunes. Um, you can get tapes directly through New Granada. Um, and again, you can order... Any any of the LPs directly through the record labels. Tor Johnson out of Providence, Rhode Island. Killer Tofu is a Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Chumpires is out of Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And strictly, uh, strictly no capital letters is from England. So, European friends can hit up Andy for a. He's got Black and he's got fifty uh, units on Black vinyl. So, we've got to We're playing. We don't we don't get to play too often. We're uh, we're all we're all middle aged. You know, like everybody's got things going on. Everybody has families, kids. Dogs, wives, except for me, you know. So yeah. um, it, it's tough. It's tough to be able to consistently practice, right? But we we were able to do this. We've got a friend named Sam who lets us practice at his uh, his practice space called New Sofa Studios. Uh, it's here in Hatfield. I live I live up in Hatfield, Pennsylvania, right now. It's about a five minute drive from my, from my apartment, and uh, we recorded the vocals there at his recording studio. He plays in a band called Black Friday Death Count. He's a really good dude, and we're 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 indebted to him for, for being so supportive. You know, um, and same with the labels. And you know, it's if you like Shotmaker, if you like Four Hundred Years, if you like Inkwell or Spirit Assembly, or like Crown Hate Real in that mid late nineties screamy jams, you might like us. So check it out. Or don't. That's cool, too.
1: (laughs) No, we're going to check it out. And Matt, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I love the record and I love having this platform because I get to catch up with a lot of great people like yourself that I haven't spoken to in a long time because I feel weird just calling people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I wouldn't just call you and be like, hey, Matt, I haven't talked to you in 20 years. How are you doing? But if there's a music podcast and we can jump on here and do it, that feels good for some reason. I don't know why that is. That's just the way it is.
2: Keith, I'm I'm really glad that you're doing this podcast. Um, I know it's it's reached a lot of people, and hopefully, it has introduced some of those folks into new bands and new music that they might not have had the opportunity to do. And that's what that's what hardcore punk is all about. Is exactly is caring, sharing, and and getting to know each other. So yeah, good, like good you stuff. mentioned, like you mentioned, Matt. Like
1: if one or two people says, "Hey, I love the music and it helped me." That's my favorite thing when people yeah. say. Hey, you turned me on to this band or, Hey, I found this through your show and I love it because I, I could just remember so many years of people dogging on my music taste and questioning myself. How could I question myself? But now that I have uh, reached the right audience, it feels very good. And I am, I am confident in uh, my curation of these things. So it's, it's all come full circle and it's a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you you do this, Keith. Like you you do new scene because you want to, yes. and because you you love it, and it, it brings you joy, right? Yes, exactly. I play music, like I, I play drums because it brings me joy. Like I don't I don't play any other instruments. I've been a drummer for since like 1990. I'm nowhere near as good as I should be. I'm, i never you know I didn't take lessons, but I'm I'm lucky in the fact that I'm able to do this. Uh, some people some people go talk to therapists right i don't do that i get to play my drums and i get to go in the woods and split a bunch of wood and build fires and just hang out and that's my therapy so i you know i play music for myself but if other people can can be into it and appreciate it then that rules and it's the same thing with your podcast you do this for you you know you're not doing it for anybody else and if people can get down with it and get on board and learn something from what you can offer and that's why, that's why you're doing it. And that rules. And you should know that.
1: That's a great summation. I love it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. We are out of time. And uh, we are going to end this week's episode with Double Dribble by King Slender. And I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.